When I entered Bible college, I was about uh, 18 months a Christian. I got saved in January of 1983, entered Bible college in uh, August of 1984, so about 18 months. And what was, uh, two things happened to me when I got saved. Number one was I wanted to know the Word of God. I wanted to read the Bible. And the second thing is I wanted to be around God's people. So those are the two things. So I read my Bible. In fact, I think in the 18 months, I got through it at least one, one and a half, maybe two times. Uh, I went to church services. I served in the church. I just wanted to grow. I just wanted to know about God. So when I got to Bible college, now 18 months of Christian. Now don't laugh out loud too hard. When I got to Bible college, I thought I knew everything about God. I got this down. I've read through the Bible one and a half or two times. I've got this whole thing about God down. And when I graduated four years later, I realized I don't know anything. <laughs> so isn't it amazing how we come to this, we think, oh, I, I got God down. I, I, can, I, I, I can describe him. I can put him in this little box and I, I've got it down. And then something happens and we realize we really don't know as much about God as we thought we did. And that's what happens to Job here. Job was living to the light that he knew. He was, he was we were told in the Bible, he was a, a blameless and an upright man. He was following at least the revelation he had of God at the moment. We're not sure exactly what it was, but something had to have been revealed to him. So he was living this and he thought that he knew all about God. He thought he really, in fact, if you listen to his arguments throughout the, the book of Job, you will see that he, he claims to his three friends, but I know God and he doesn't act that way. I know God and he doesn't do this. So over and over again, he thought that he knew God, but he gets to this end where he's going to say today is, man, I didn't know anything about God. There was so much I didn't understand about him. So he went into his experience thinking that he really knew God and he exited his experience with a realization that he really didn't know anything about him as he thought. I mean, think about Job. We we're told in the Bible, he was the, the greatest man of the East. We were told that he was blameless, that he was upright. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he had a lot of livestock. He was, he was blessed in prosperity, part of the old covenant promises, even though that's not necessarily old covenant, but the promises made then. And then at one moment, he loses everything. It's all gone. His children die. His possessions are destroyed. His, his livestock is killed. Only thing he's left is with his wife. And I think you and I can debate whether she was much of a help at all. <laughs> but he loses everything. His health, his wealth, his family. He's hurt. His wife hurts. And he comes to the realization in chapter 42 as I didn't know God like I thought I knew him. He tells us that through suffering, a person learns valuable truths about God that ultimately shape their relationship with him. And sadly, it often comes through suffering. It often comes when we just are no longer in control. And for a recovering control freak, that's always a frightening place to be. But we realize in our suffering that God is there to shape our relationship with him. He's not there to harm us in our suffering. He's not there to say, look, you deserve this because we're going to find out that Job did not deserve the suffering that he got. He, it wasn't because of a sin that he did, but God comes along in the midst of our suffering, reveals himself to us. Our eyes are opened up to who he is and who we are, and we love him even more because we understand him better now. That's what happened to Job. Sadly, often it takes suffering to get our attention. 
So he doesn't still know why he's suffering. He doesn't have Genesis, uh, Job 1 and 2 where we get a, a backstory of what happens behind the scene with God and Satan. He doesn't know that information. Doesn't know why he's suffering. But, but he, he's done complaining at this point. He's done questioning and challenging God. He's ready now just to listen. That's a good place to be. Instead of asking why, just to listen. Instead of challenging God, God, I thought you would never do this just to listen. He's finally at a point that he can listen to what God has to say. And that's where we find ourselves in Job chapter 42, verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, God has been speaking since chapter 38 to 41, asking Job all of these questions. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? That is a direct quote from God. God said that to him. He's repeating it back to God. Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you and make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. God reveals himself to Job, shows him who he is, and shows Job who Job is, and he realizes, man, I was so out of order here. So Job starts by quoting God's own words as a basis of retracting how foolish his own words were. So he's using God's word, God, this is what you said, and you know you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I should have never said the things I said. You're right, God, and he uses God's own word. He doesn't retract what he says about his essential integrity. He doesn't say, hey, I was uh, sinful. It's not that. He just, he, he, he just says, I, my words were, were, were overbold. overbold. My attitude towards God was, was not befitting a creature. It was one who was trying to give counsel to the Almighty. So he realized who he was. James Smith wrote, this is not an omission that his suffering is deserved because of sin but rather that his complaints against God stem from his ignorance of God. The answer to Job's questions lies not so much in a flood of new information as in a new relationship with the Lord. And that's exactly what God's trying to do to him. 38 through 41 is bringing him into a greater understanding, revealing himself to Job so that Job can know who God is, who Job is, and therefore live out of that. Because in his first response to, to God, Job confesses his finite. He's, I'm a creature. In the face of God's display of wonders of nature, God's doing all of these things. He created, he orders creation. Can you do any of this, Job? And Job realizes, I can't do any of that. I'm just a creature here. God's wonders of nature are beyond my understanding. In fact, in chapter 40, verses three through five, this is what Job said. Job answered the Lord and said, behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I will lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. I'm ready to listen, God. I'm done talking. I'm done talking. I'm done complaining. I'm done grumbling. I'm ready to listen to whatever you have to say. Zuck said, one who cannot undertake God's works has no right to undermine God's ways. Who are you, Job? Can you do what I have done? And the answer is no, he cannot. Well, then why are you trying to undermine my ways, Job? See, this is, these are the questions, the, the overriding, if you go through 38 through 41, there's like a thousand questions in there, literally. I mean, you, you, there's a lot of questions, but if you sum them up in groups, they're basically along these lines. These are the questions God asked Job because Job thought he had all the answers. So he starts off with the phrase that we see here, 
who darkens counsel by words without knowledge. Again, that's a direct quotation from God. So then he asked Job, where were you when I created the earth? Tell me about that. Where were you? And then he says, do you oversee the order of the world? I provide for the creatures. Are, can you oversee the order of the world, Job? Can you provide for the beasts of the earth? Shall a fault finder con contend with the Almighty? Do you, do you claim that I'm in the wrong, Job? These are the questions God is asking him. So are you in control of the behemoth or the Leviathan, which were symbols of chaos and disorder? Can you bring order out of chaos, Job? And Job is going to go, I, I can't say anything more. You got me. I, I, I need to stop talking and start listening to you, God. So who is man that we should advise the Lord on how he's supposed to work in this world? I mean, who are we to say, God, you have to do it this way? And that's what Job is basically saying. I expected God to do this, this, and this. And he didn't do that. It's because he didn't know God well enough. We do. Somehow you and I think we can contend with the Almighty and tell him what's best in our life. Now, of course, you've never done that before, right? You've never said, God, I don't think this is good. I think this is the best for me. We've never done that before. Sure we do. We contend with the Almighty and we question whether or not those things that are coming into our lives are actually for our benefit, for our good, or are these to harm us? It's best like Job just to remain silent. Just remain silent. Watch what God is doing and follow him. So Job is overwhelmed by the strength of the behemoth and the Leviathan and realized, I can't, I can't bring order to chaos. I can't do that, God. Only you can do that, God. Now we have to understand, Job was not sinless. He wasn't sinless. He sinned just like you and I sinned. He was not sinless. The Bible does declare statements about him that we're going to look at here in a second, but he himself was not sinless. He was not sinless. He was not suffering because of a specific sin. And we have to wipe that out of our thinking. It wasn't that he did something wrong and now he's suffering for it. It's not that at all. In fact, in Job chapter one and in chapter two, we read about this. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped after all of those, all those bad things happened. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In fact, we sing a song like that. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. And then we jump over to chapter two. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Like I said, I'm not quite sure she was a help. Okay, I'm not sure she was a help. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall I receive good from God? And shall we not receive evil? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. So it's not a specific sin that he's suffering for. And we have to get that out of our mind that somehow this person's suffering because of some sin that they did. No, in Job's case, that is not the, that's not what happened. Not at all. The fact, this is what God says about Job more than one time. Chapter one, verse one. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was blameless and upright one who feared God and turned away from evil. That's how God describes Job, blameless and upright. I mean, I, I, can, I can imagine, again, I'm just thinking out loud, I can imagine Job saying something like this. I love the creator. Again, we don't know what level of revelation has been given. Remember, Job is about the time of Abraham. So we don't even have the first five books of Moses at this time. That comes later comes much later, centuries later after this. So whatever revelation he had, he had some revelation, not sure exactly what it was, 
But I can assure him, I love the creator. I want to do what he's asked me to do. I desire to do the right thing. And, and if I fail and do the wrong thing, then I, I'm quick to confess my sin and repent and, 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 and amend my ways and, and, and do the right thing. He was a person that desired to do right. That's what we're talking about. Not a sinless person, but someone who wanted to do the right thing as God laid out. That just says to us there had to have been some known standard at that time in the world among humanity to know what the creator was desiring from his people. Again, this has not been written yet. The Old Testament, the first five books of Moses have not been written yet. So some standard had to have been out there till he knows that this is acceptable before the creator and this is unacceptable for the creator. And he wanted to do what was right. In fact, the Bible says he was blameless, which means he had a moral goodness about him. Not sinless, but, but a focus of being guiltless and not liable for sin or wrong. So if he did something wrong, he confessed it and he made it right. And so he was blameless in that sense. Not perfect, not sinless, but blameless. And then he was upright, a person that had moral integrity. He understood that there was a, an absolute set of morals in this universe, ethics in this universe, and he was willing to order his life accordingly, whose qualities include honesty, piety, and, con, and, and being, being favorable to the Lord. In fact, when, when the Lord is talking to Satan in chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, this is what the Lord said to Satan. From where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Again, God is telling us who this person was. Not perfect, but he wanted, to, he desired to do the right thing. That's the kind of guy that Job was. We need to, again, remind ourselves suffering is not always a direct result of doing something wrong, of sin. It could be, but it's not always the case. We must be careful not to let our minds go there. So Job learned something new about God. God appears to him in a whirlwind. <laughs> whirlwind. God reveals himself and begins speaking to Job. And in this theophany, this vision of God, he learned something about God and about himself. He learned that God can do all things. There's nothing outside of God's control. Job 38 and Matthew 19. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Does that sound familiar? That's right here in 42. Dress for action like a man. I will question you and, and you make it known to me. And then he launches into all of the stuff that he has done in creation and, and, and ordering this world, his power in it. Matthew 19. But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So Job now sees God's omnipotence. He is all-powerful. That should bring comfort to your heart and to my heart. He has the power to do all things. And when it is in his will, he will remove those circumstances from our life by his power. But he is also all-knowing. Job confesses God's omniscience. God knows all things. He knows when it's time to remove those circumstances for our life. He knows when it's time to leave the circumstances in our life. And we have to be okay with that. We have to be okay with that. You say, but God's all powerful and God knows all things. He knows I'm suffering right now. Why doesn't he take it away? He has the power to do that because it's not the right time. He knows all things also. And because he knows all things, it may not be the time to remove this from our lives. It serves a purpose for Job that he would know God and know himself. Psalm 139, 2 says, David speaking, you know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar, you know all things, God. 
He has, knows all things. He has all power to bring forth his will in this world. And we have to rest in the truth that God knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. We have to rest in that truth. And when it is his will, he has the power to change our circumstances. Sometimes it's not God's will to change our circumstances in the moment. And we have to be okay with that. We have to be all right with that. Job's learning the lesson that King Nebuchadnezzar centuries later is going to learn. And that is God can do all things who can thwart him. Daniel chapter four, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? He has all power and he has all knowledge. So he knows how to use his power because he has all knowledge. He knows when to remove or he knows when to let it restay. C.S. Lewis wrote a book, How Can We See God Until We Have Faces? It's kind of a weird title. It's a really good book, very philosophical. Basically, the gist of the whole book is it's very hard for us to understand God until we understand who we are. When we see ourselves for who we truly are, then we get a better view of God. And this is exactly what's happened in Job. Job is beginning to see himself for who he truly is and who God truly is. And it changes everything. Job said, my thoughts and my ways were without knowledge. I just didn't know. He thought that he knew God, but there were holes in his understanding. And now he's learning something new about God. He had spoken out of ignorance of things beyond his ability to understand a charge that would indict us all. The psalmist in Psalm 131 says, Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Oh, Job thought through his ignorance he spoke. He didn't really know God, but now he's beginning to know himself. And once he knows himself, he can see God in a better light. He had heard of God before secondhand, but now he sees God metaphorically in this world when, and when he sees God, just like Isaiah, remember what happened to Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, when he saw God, when he had that revelation of God, that vision of God, he says, woe is me. In fact, let's read that. Isaiah 6, 5. When Isaiah saw God high and lifted up, woe is me for I am lost for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah was God's prophet. Isaiah was the one who spoke in God's name to the people of Israel. He should be one way up there. And he goes, no, no, woe is me. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. It's exactly what Job is saying. Is man, woe is me. I am undone. I see myself for who I truly am. We don't know really what he repented of. We don't know what he repented of. The Bible doesn't say what he repented of. It wasn't what his three friends claimed that he had done wrong. It wasn't that. They were wrong in themselves. They didn't understand God as well. So it wasn't that. Some, some say maybe it was his bad attitude, his arrogance when he talked about God. That's possible. More likely, I think this is the case. It is very possible Job confessed that his view of God had been too small in his eyes. I thought I knew God, but I really didn't know him like I thought I did. I had this view of God, but it was way too small. He is much grander, much wiser, much greater than I ever imagined in my life. My view of God was way too small. That's what he's confessing, that I tried to take something that was so grandiose, so, so, so infinite, and try to put it in a box. You ever done that to God? You ever put God in a box? God, this is how you can act, and this is what you can do, and this is who you are. And then all of a sudden, what does God do? He blows the box up, doesn't he? 
and he reveals himself about how great he is. That's what Job was at. Job had put, I got you, God. And he goes, no, you don't. You don't get me. Michael Green talked about Augustine. Augustine was one of the early church fathers, 400 AD, thereabouts. He wrote this, Augustine, while puzzling over the doctrine of the Trinity, which is a mystery, doctrine of the Trinity, the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, was walking along the beach one day when he observed a young boy with a bucket running back and forth to pour water into a little hole. Augustine asked, what are you doing? The boy replied, I'm trying to put the ocean into this hole. Then Augustine realized that he had been trying to put an infinite God into his finite mind. And that's exactly what Job was doing. This infinite God he had put in a box and he had said, this is the way God is going to act and always like this. And God goes, blows the box up and says, nuh-uh. I want you to learn about yourself and I want you to learn about me through this event. And Job's repentance occurs in response to God's character because of who God is. He's all powerful. He's all knowing. He brings order out of chaos. He provides for the creatures of the earth. He is the creator of all things. W.M. Taylor wrote, true repentance hates the sin and not merely the penalty. And it hates the sin most of all because it has discovered and felt God's love. We don't hate sin because of the penalty. We hate sin because it hurts, hurts our father. And he has loved us with an everlasting love. So Job's repentance takes place before God changes anything in his life. Did you see that? He hasn't restored his family back to him. He hasn't restored his possessions back to him. He is still sitting on the ash heap in the midst of the dunghill that he's sitting on. God changes everything for him. But it wasn't, wasn't before his repentance. He repented before God changed anything in his life. John MacArthur said, the ashes upon which the broken man sat had not changed, but the heart of God's suffering servant had. I see myself, God, for what I am, and I see you for what you are. So he repents of his ignorance of God by an outward action of his inward contrition of heart and death to his own opinions. I realize I thought God was too small. My God was too small. Sometimes we ask, if God's in control, how could he let this happen? It's a human thing, but we're constrained by time. We're unable to see beyond the moment. We can guess what may come in the future, but we cannot see the future. We are constrained by time, unable to see beyond today, and we cannot know the reasons for everything that happens. But God does, and he uses it to reveal to us who we are and to him, uh, who he is. Now, we have that famous verse we like to quote, Normally, after we've been through a bad event, not before, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good. Yeah, when I'm on the other side and I'm looking back and seeing what I learned from it, but not when I'm in the midst of it. So, but it's in the midst of it we need to remember this verse that God knows all things, that God knows all things that's going to happen, and He uses all things. And for His people, it is for our good. God, uh, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All things. It is really hard for us to say, God, how can a sickness be a good thing? It's hard for us to ask. It's hard for us to, to, to or may I say, how could a fire be a good thing? That's hard for us to understand. It's hard for our minds to go there. All we can see is the evil that comes out of it. We don't understand what's to come next. 
out of all of this. And if we really believe Romans chapter 8, 8 verse 28, we would say whatever it is that's in our life is going to profit for our good. He doesn't harm us. That's not his intent for his people. So he's journeying through his despair. Job realizes that his relationship to God was not what he thought it was. And when he realizes that he didn't really know God that he did, he repents from his demand for vindication. Okay, God, I tried to vindicate myself throughout all these chapters. Now I'm done talking. I'm just ready to listen. Charles Spurgeon said, the door of repentance opens into the hall of joy. And when he stopped talking and he started listening, his heart started to settle down. He saw God in the whirlwind. Now he sees God spiritually speaking in his inner being. God's speaking to him. Job heard the word of the Lord and saw him, which caused in Job a change of mind and a deepening of his knowledge of God. Okay, God, I see who I am and I see who you are and I get it now. I understand more. I, was, I just talked like an idiot. I should have never said the things I said. So deepened his knowledge of God. I can imagine, again, sanctified imagination. I'm not putting words in God's mouth, but I can imagine God saying something in list to Job. Yes, Job, in comparison with other men on the earth, you are upright and blameless. But in comparison with me, you are a fallen creature. Yeah, among others, you may be upright and blameless and you're the, the best of the man of the East. But when you start comparing yourself with me, you're just a fallen creature. You need to put yourself in your right place before me. So Job's perspective of God's complete work, workings was limited and secondhand. Now God, uh, Job knew God with words, but now he experiences his living presence in his inner being. He senses him now. He hears him for the first time. He's opened up to new things about who God is and what God has done. Job had been transformed by his personal encounter with God. It changed everything in his life. Changes perspective. It changed everything. Even in the midst, he's still suffering. At this point, he's still suffering. And the text says, therefore, I despise myself. I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. I despise myself. I have an aversion or a great displeasure with myself. Or to put it in the common turn of vernacular, Job goes, what an idiot I was. What an idiot. Man, I was talking overbold words. And man, I was talking about stuff that I didn't have a clue about. Now through this whole event, I see myself and I see God. And I understand a whole lot more now. So God comes to him to remind him that he is the God of the universe, the creator of all creatures, and that he is greater and grander and higher and wiser than any mortal can imagine in this world. H.D.M. Spence wrote, Now I recognize the distance which separates us and feel how unreasonable it is that I should contend with you, argue with you, assume myself to be competent to pass judgment on your doings. Now I'm going to be quiet, Job says. And the lesson of Job, the lesson for all of us, Job's response shows what the purpose of suffering is. It's to know God. The purpose of suffering is to know God, to know him in a way that we have never known him before, to see him grander and greater and wiser than any mortal can understand. I talked to someone this morning that, uh, that has gone through a terrible event here in this fire as well. And this person said to me, I get it. I get it. I know God better today than I than I did. And I thought I knew him really well, but now I know him a whole lot better. And that is the purpose of suffering is to know God, to know ourselves. Yes, but to know God. J. Sidlow Baxter wrote, 
And this is the man who exclaims, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. We might well have expected self-congratulation rather than such utter self-abhorrence. There is this groan, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Why? It was because Job had seen God in a new way. And when he did so, he saw himself in a new way. That is always what happens when we see ourselves in the sight of God. We talk no more of our own supposed goodness. The loathsome leprosy of our innate sinfulness stands out stark and ugly. We see that all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Job was in no sense a hypocrite. He had sincerely lived up to the best he knew, but he had been self-righteous. He now saw his real condition as a member of Adam's fallen race and his need of redemption, not only in the sense of atonement and forgiveness, but of inward cleansing. He saw God in his eyes for the first time, it seemed like. And all of Job's questions had not been answered, but they were no longer burning issues for him. I was talking to Larry this morning. I was talking, I can't even remember what I said to him, what it was. was, You know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God why that was. Oh, I remember now. We're talking about why did God link uh, all of the festivals to Israel with the moon, the 30-day moon cycle? Why did God do that? I mean, we always link everything to the sun. Why did God choose to link everything to the moon? And then I answered my own question. I said, you know, when I get to heaven, I probably won't care. (laughs) I won't care. It'll no longer be a burning issue for me. I, I just won't care. And that will be the day when all of our burning questions are no longer burning issues for us. If you like the uh, Chronicles of Narnia, there I know C.S. Lewis wrote them for children, but I love them. So maybe I'm just a big kid. I love them. They're so full of great... And one of them, Prince Caspian, there's an interesting story that goes on. Lucy is one of the main characters in the, in the series. And Aslan is the Jesus figure that's a lion, a great lion. And in this scene in Prince Caspian, Lucy and, and Aslan have been separated for a period of time. And now they've come back together and Lucy sees Aslan again after a period of time has gone by. And Lewis says that Lucy gazed up into that large, wise face. Welcome, child, he said. Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. That is because you are older, little one, answered he. Oh, not because you are? I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger in your eyes. That's what Job happened. That's what happened to him. He realized just how big God was and how small a view he had of him. So in the midst of our suffering, it's to know God and for us to be revealed to him what he is and who he is and what he has done. And we can see ourselves for who we are for the purpose of suffering is to know God. Let's pray. Father, none of us here likes the word suffering. We don't like it. We have a hard time understanding how it fits into your grand scheme of things. We, we just don't grasp it. We are limited in our knowledge. We cannot see beyond today. But we believe that you are all powerful and that you are all knowing and that you're everywhere present. So you see all things and you know all things and you have power to do all things. And today we want to declare to you that we, we want to trust you. We don't want to see with our eyes. We want to see with your eyes. We want to see who you are and how grand and wise and magnificent and how beautiful that you are, how high and lifted up, how glorious you are. And in seeing you, we will see ourselves and realize 
just how great that you truly are. Oh, we may compare ourselves with other people around us and say how great we are, but when we compare ourselves to you, we see ourselves as fallen creatures. So Father, help us in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our adverse circumstances, to trust you, to believe, to know that all things will work together for the good. And even though we don't understand it, we trust you and, I'm, and we're going to rest in that trust. We're not going to get anxious. We're not going to try to take control of the situation. We are going to rest in you and we're going to believe that you are who you say you are and that we are who you say we are so that your name can be glorified on this earth as we come to know you in a new way. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.